This is the Data Privacy Detective. And today we're going to talk about privacy and the internet, or should we call it the splinternet, as some people are saying. You know, the internet is really a transmission system. Uh, it's for how information is, is distributed and collected and shared on the World Wide Web, at least that's what we call it. And as of October 2021, they're thought to be 5.2 billion people who are connected to the World Wide Web. Well, that's what we call it, but you know, it's really not one World Wide Web. Countries have erected fences to control the access of their residents. Increasingly, governments claim that our personal information must be kept within their boundaries and not be shared beyond, either at all or subject to restrictions. So think of the World Wide Web as, as really a series of websites. They're thought to be close to 2 billion websites, but only about 10% of those, perhaps 200 million, are active websites. Uh, but that's how information is shared through websites that sometimes connect and sometimes don't connect all that well. And in the next episodes of the Data Privacy Detective, we're going to explore the concept of data localization. This is how countries are increasing their control of us and our personal information. And we'll explore how this affects our privacy and the original dream of the internet and the World Wide Web, which was to create a global community. Well, today we're going to start with the country of China. And with us is Hugo Nagashima. Good morning, Hugo. Nice of you. Good morning. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Now, Hugo, you're an attorney at the in the Washington, D.C. office of Frost Brown Todd, a large uh, U.S. law firm. Uh, and you specialize in privacy, intellectual property, and the international practice with a focus on Japan. Uh, and I know you've been getting ready to tell us all about China. So let's get right into it. How, how does the Chinese government deal with the personal information of its citizens and residents? So, well, there's five boxes or pillar, as you will, that the Chinese government collects information on. And if I may, uh, the five are, there's a financial box, there's a judicial, a commercial, societal, and a governmental um, pillar. Okay, and financial, that would be banking and uh, credit worthiness, those sorts of issues. And uh, does the Chinese government collect a lot of information about its uh, residents? It does. It does. Uh, I think the best example is uh, the societal aspect of it. Um, many people have heard that um, in China, if you jaywalk or if you're not paying your taxes, um, you can no longer, for example, buy a train ticket or book a hotel. Uh, that's part of the societal trustworthiness pillar of collecting the information. And that's one aspect that um, some people, uh, that privacy experts talk about. And this is what we hear about the social credit system, far beyond financial. Uh, social credit system. And uh, how does this get enforced? So each person in China then is subject to kind of a ranking the way perhaps in the United States our credit worthiness is ranked by credit agencies. But you're saying the Chinese government is beginning, or is it already well underway, of, of keeping track of each person, 1.3 or so billion people in China about their social credit. Is that what's happening? So 
That's what we think, but um, China tried a FICO type score on certain regional or certain areas. They, they had a test case and it didn't work out that well. So we have this image of uh, a camera, a CCTV camera basically shining on people's faces and giving numbers. But I think what we have today is more akin to a blacklisting or a whitelisting. So if the government, regional government or central government collects certain information for taxes, for example, if you're not paying your taxes and if the taxes are not paid for a certain amount of time and that information is collected, then you're put on the blacklist. On the other, on the other hand, you've continued to pay taxes and you continue to return your books to the library. Uh, you get on the white list where you get certain benefits, for example, um, a faster way to reserve tickets or uh, being being in front of the line for train tickets and getting a cheaper fee for hotels. But the as, as announced, the system is designed ultimately to do this for maybe 1.3 billion people. Is that the, uh, the basic idea? I think eventually that's correct. Okay, and it's is all within China. I take it they're not ranking Americans uh, at present, and this is part of the data localization point that any government wants to keep track of some personal information of its residents and citizens. We do for tax purposes, for example, right? That's right. Okay. So I guess let's just think for a minute together. How's this social credit system? Uh, created and how's it enforced? I guess first it has to collect the data. And what do we know about how effective the Chinese government is about collecting the data in the first place? So collecting the data is relatively effective. Uh, there are different ways of doing it. Um, and depending on the pillars, the, the entities that are collecting the information is different. Uh, but a lot of times the local government, municipal government, and the central government is involved in collecting the information. And then the enforcement, as you say, is more for what rewards you get or perhaps what penalties uh, you receive if you're running astray of the credit system, the social credit system. Is that the enforcement? That's right. Um, it's, the, it's the part where you can't get your tickets at the train station or you get a special discount at, uh, at a government-controlled um, SOE. Right. And we could talk for a long time about the biometrics of capturing people's faces and is that really uh, Hugo or is that Ralph? You know, we don't know, and, but, but let's go on to a second point. So we have the idea now that China is really gathering information of, of, of its citizens uh, for purposes that are declared, that are transparent and for the idea of having very trustworthy people, uh, they get rewarded for being good uh, Chinese uh, citizens and residents. So that's their idea, ours in the United States may be quite different. Uh, but there we are. And, and then is that data easily then just transferred anywhere in the world? So I could keep track of uh, how someone in China is uh, behaving. So, so that's not the case. Uh, again, this goes into the data localization idea where information about Chinese citizens under a law called uh, PIPL, Personal Information Protection Law, um, you have to keep the personal information in China, especially if the the collecting company or entity collects a lot of information about the citizens. 
And in China, let's remember, under Mao Zedong, wasn't all that long ago. Nobody went to law school. There were many lawyers. So the the laws are unfolding. And China has a data security law. It has a cyber security law. The the personal information protection law is is in a it, increasing a draft form near and, and then are all sorts of regulations and reg, you know and just like the United States uh, Beijing may say something but it's another thing whether it's enforced in the law of Chongqing or somewhere else so just like any other places this is all evolving but you're saying uh, from what we know currently uh, China is trying to keep the personal information of its citizens within China is that the the bottom line or uh, talk to us more about that Right. So in general, that's correct. Uh, China wants to keep their information in China. But of course, uh, when you have to do business, sometimes information needs to leave to a different country. And there are certain exceptions. But I think to overcome the general rule is going to be very difficult in China because you would have to go through um, integrity tests of the information that is uh, set out by an agency called the Cyberspace Agency. And we still don't know what the Cyberspace uh, Agency is going to require. They're supposed to be creating uh, lists of categories of information that it might be acceptable to uh, escape the country or to, or, to, or to definitely remain within the country. Is that uh, how it's being done? Right. And we're waiting for such lists. And it's it's both sectoral, you know, financial institutions may be different from uh, uh, tech tech companies, correct? And, and so there's right. uncertainty about what can and can't. Of course, now for any European or American or non-Chinese company to market within China, it needs to collect personal information. And this becomes a bit of a trade block, doesn't it? It does. It does create a trade block. And uh, more importantly, uh, the data security law, I believe, has a definition of, oh, it doesn't have a definition, but it basically says you can't transport important information. And now, important information, that, that, that's literally uh, the, uh, an English translation of a, of a phrase in, in the right. Chinese law. And so what is important information? <laughs> it, it's just like we've been talking about. It's sectorial. We don't know um, clearly. Uh, it's, it, it will depend on what the information is and which sector. And depending on that, the agencies in China uh, will basically define what important is, but it will be very difficult for even the privacy professionals to understand the full scope of it because it's going to be across across the board in different sectors. It it sort of suggests that if if it isn't important information, then China will allow it to be shared. Perhaps that might be someone's email address. I mean, there are plenty of Chinese citizens interacting all the time with people all around the world, of course. And that might be deemed unimportant information. We, we just have to wait to see is what you're telling us. That's right. Uh, it's still it's still developing and we'll have to see. But what we can say right now is if it's millions and billions of emails collected by one entity that's international, that information or the collection of information will likely have to stay in China. Right. And this has important implications for all of us. For example, if I'm writing someone in China and I say something like, uh, well, you know, Taiwan's a country. You can't say that within China because Taiwan is part of China uh, under Chinese law very clearly. Delta Airlines has been (laughs) chastised by uh, 
the government of China for saying, uh, just referring to Taiwan on their list of different countries. You can't call it a country, according to China, right? Uh, of course, Taiwan has a different viewpoint on that. Uh, but uh, uh, this is part of the problem for any non-Chinese business that wants to have interaction with the Chinese uh, uh, customer base, correct? That's correct. Uh, and it's not just the Taiwan-China issue. We've seen that with um, how much information that uh, search engines must disclose. So, for example, in China, um, Google is not that popular. Well, you really can't access it. You have to use Baidu. That's their search engine. And, of course, Facebook's not there. Uh, they use something called WeChat. And there is an ecosystem that um, American companies, for example, that's, that's the best example, that will not abide by certain rules of disclosure of the information to the government are not in the market. Good point. So great challenges for non-Chinese companies to operate within China. Well, let's turn the question around. What, what is uh, the, the China concept? Does China then refuse to allow the collection of data about Americans or Europeans or, or, or Africans? Uh, or is its data localization law really only focused on the data within China? Well, it appears that way. And I think a great example of that is uh, TikTok. Well, let's is... talk about TikTok. I mean, uh, an amazingly popular, uh, what, there are 20 million or more Americans uh, thought to be uh, who use TikTok. Okay. And what's the issue there with, with personal privacy? Well, TikTok is a... Um, Originally, a Chinese company created it. Uh, the company is called ByDance, and then it was released in the U.S. And as we know, uh, the younger generation are really enjoying using TikTok and recording videos. And uh, it's like you said, it's amassed a user base of 20 million people, and that information is held by TikTok. The question is, does TikTok share that information with its parent? and then in turn with China. Right, and why would we assume that it won't? In fact, the prior administration to the Biden administration actually took action that uh, a court in the United States uh, enjoined, but to basically force the sale of uh, the US aspects of TikTok to a US company. That didn't happen, we have a new administration. But this is part of the issue, isn't it? That uh, if China's going to restrict personal information about its citizens, why wouldn't the U.S. or the European Union or other countries have the right to restrict theirs? And pretty soon, each country becomes uh, fenced by the data of its own citizens. Is that the threat to the whole idea of the World Wide Web? Well, the GDPR is trying to challenge that, right? Um, That's Europe's approach. Yeah. Yeah. Is that we want the free flow of information, but in a secure, in a manner that protects the right, uh, private privacy rights of citizens uh, for the EU. And I think US is moving towards that direction, but there's always this tension between, you know, how much free flow of information can happen versus how much of the privacy information be, should be held in by another government or in another country. So there's always the tension there, but I think in general, because of the GDPR, and I believe where the US, especially the CCPA, where we're, where we're moving is we're towards um, free flow of information, but with certain protections 
for the citizens. Well, how is CCPA, of course, California's uh, state law, because we have no overarching U.S. federal privacy law. We have it for medical information, financial information, but not for consumer information. So uh, with that in mind, with California's approach, does California restrict uh, a Chinese company from getting access to the personal information of Americans? So it's not, so there is certain limits. There are certain limits, as we know, because the CCPA has limits, but it's not say, you know, because you're a Chinese company, you can't collect that information. And it's not data localization. It's just limits for, for example, data minimization. You're not going to collect as much information or if you're going to collect that information, you're going to get consent. I, I think the localization aspect is a little bit different. I, I don't think CCPA has that. Right. And so we have a world where the laws are changing, evolving, very different, aren't they, between the European Union and the United States, and certainly with China. But uh, this issue of data localization has a good deal to what happens to our private information. Any of us, if we travel to China, uh, China may well know a lot about us. <laughs> Am That's I right? right? Yeah. That's right. From information legitimately collected under current U.S. law in the United States or by, by Chinese companies. Well, Hugo, what are your concluding thoughts? How restricted is the flow of personal data between just China and the United States right now? And what's your prognosis as we learn more about how China put his putting up its fences. I think we all know that China has, uh, it's thought to be maybe perhaps a million people that are censoring information on the internet. Uh, strong firewall, the great firewall of China, some call it. But uh, how do we see this between the two greatest economies of the world? What's your, what's your prognosis? With China, uh, I think it still remains to be seen uh, because we do need to understand the regulations that will come out and that will set out the contours of how much information can actually flow out of China. Um, the U.S., on the other hand, uh, again, we only have state laws and we'll have to see what the federal law, if it ever passes, will discuss any data localization or the free flow of information. But with U.S., I, I will um, take a wild guess and I will say we will be closer to the GDPR where we will embrace the free flow of information. Um, you know, we've been trying to get the privacy shield with Europe. So the flow of information, I think, is something that will benefit uh, the United States greatly instead of confining information. And again, with China, after seeing how Europe and U.S. operates, they may decide to say, hey, it, it might be more beneficial to have restrictions, but open up the borders a little more so that the data can flow both ways. Well said. And of course, uh, whether you post information about yourself on TikTok or Facebook, it's out there. It's not as though you can say, well, please give it back. <laughs> Once it's out there and turned into zeros and ones in a digital form, it's out there something we individually decide whether we share in the first place with our own little corner of the World Wide Web. Well, Hugo, thank you for taking us on a tour with China, and we'll come back to you and be with you in our next episode about another country. And I'll close, as I always do, by reminding us all, protecting your personal privacy begins with you. 
Thank you and see you next time. Thank you.